Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Gospel reading of John, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're getting closer and closer to finishing our journey with Jesus by the sea. And today is the first time we're seeing an interaction with Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. And this picture of the sea that you see here is actually on the shores of a place called Tabga. And this is the place where they have built churches commemorating the story that you heard in the gospel reading today, because this is where they think it happened. The miracle of the fish the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, and the restoration or reinstatement of Peter. Today we'll be focusing on the second half of the story, the interaction that Jesus has with Peter. Now there's more than enough for one sermon in these few verses we're going to cover, because there's things that aren't even mentioned here that we need to bring up in order to put this whole scene into perspective. And I might not even touch on all of them either. But maybe you'll be able to learn something new today. Not just about Jesus, not just about Peter, but also about yourself. To set the stage, the disciples are fishing and they don't catch anything. And then Jesus, unbeknownst to them, tells them how they can catch fish, which they do, of course, professional fishermen listening to a stranger. And they catch so many fish that they can't pull it into the boat and they have to drag it to shore. And John says, it's the Lord, to which Peter jumps out of the boat and makes his way to Jesus. This, of course, is now the second time that Peter has jumped out of a boat to go towards Jesus. This time, however, he did not walk on water. He jumped right in and swam, walked to the shore, about a hundred yards. We often see Peter as the first disciple many times, to take the lead, to be the first to speak up, to run his mouth, in a good way or sometimes in a not-so-good way. In a good way, when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ after Jesus asks his disciples who they say that he is. In a not so good way, when he tells Jesus that he would die before denying him. This, of course, brings us to today. Because Peter didn't die rather than deny Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. He failed when he said he wouldn't. And he didn't just say it about himself. He said, if everyone else falls away, if all of these other disciples, my closest friends, my brothers, if they fall away and deny you, Jesus, I won't. Because I'm better than them. Emphasis added by me. Peter boasts in himself and then has his greatest failure. He who exalts himself will be humbled or something like that, right? Here we are with Peter the denier throwing himself into the sea to get to Jesus first. 
And while you may be looking for Jesus to sort of straight out say to Peter, Peter, your sins are forgiven, we don't see it. And that's probably because it already happened before this scene. How do we know? Well, after the resurrection, the angel says to the women, go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter. That would indicate to us that immediately after the resurrection, Peter is still on the outside, still consumed by that sin. But when Jesus appears to the disciples, the time that Thomas isn't there, Jesus breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit, to give them the power to forgive sins or not forgive sins. Well, Peter is there, receiving that blessing. That means he's been restored. He's been forgiven already. So when does it happen? Well, we don't know exactly. But we do know that Jesus appears only to Peter at some point because two different authors tell us. Luke and Paul both record Jesus appearing only to Simon Peter. Obviously, no one else was there to hear that conversation. Peter doesn't tell us about it. And so now we're going to get it with the conversation that we see take place in the gospel. And we could say that it's because Jesus needs to do more for Peter. Since Peter's sin was such a serious sin that Jesus needs to set Peter on the right path for the rest of his life. And to do it publicly in front of these other six disciples. That's why we know of this passage as Peter's restoration or reinstatement, because it happens publicly. Now, there are a number of unique things to note that you may not think about unless they're pointed out to you. The first is that this scene takes place after a large catch of fish, reminiscent of the miracle that Jesus did before Peter, before he called Peter to follow him and be a fisher of men. That's the beginning of Peter's ministry. The scene also takes place around a charcoal fire that Jesus had made. It just so happened that Peter was gathered around a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus. And now these two will be joined together as Peter's ministry will now be laid before him as he is reminded of his sin, of his denial. Because the only one that you probably clearly see and will note is the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. Just like Peter denied Jesus three times. But what's interesting in the questioning of Jesus is that he doesn't use the name Peter. The name that Jesus himself had given Peter. In fact, he uses Simon. The name that he was born with. As a man born into sin, calling him Simon will draw on that sinful nature that he was born with and his sin of denial. The first question of Jesus is, do you love me more than these? More than these other disciples? The answer, of course, in reality is no. Because Peter is the only one who denied Jesus. 
This question then is also a call to Peter to not put himself above the other disciples. Peter doesn't love Jesus more than the other disciples. And this is where the word love is important. Now you may know the Bible uses different words for love and we see two of them here in this passage. Jesus' question to Peter, Simon, do you love me? This is agapao love, or agape. Agape love is sacrificial, unconditional. That's the love that God loves, that, that God loves us with. Peter's response to his question is, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But his word for love isn't agape. It's phileo love. It's philia. Philia love is affectionate, brotherly, bonded, friend love. Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Peter knows he can't love like God. And he knows that Jesus knows it. And his pride is out the window because he cannot boast in himself. The same with the second time he asks. Jesus uses agape and Peter uses philia. But now it's just to Peter alone. Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me at all? He says, I love you, but not like you love me. After Peter's denial, the question is obvious. Does he still love Jesus? Now these questions from Jesus are easily justified. And the last time that Jesus asks, Simon, do you love me? He uses philia. Because Peter has responded twice with philia love, and now Jesus even questions that philia, that affectionate love. This may be why Peter is grieved, he's wounded, he's sorrowful by Jesus' question. And also because he's probably reminded of his three times betrayal. What we can take away from these three questions, though, is that Jesus addresses Peter's wounds so that he can heal it completely. Or you could even say Jesus causes hurt in order to heal. He calls out sin in order to restore. And Peter knows that Jesus knows all things. And Peter knows that Jesus knows he loves him. And we know that Jesus accepts Peter's love. We know that Jesus reinstates and restores Peter because he tells Peter after each answer, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And each of those responses from Jesus means something. The feeding, Bosco, is about nourishing the flock. Jesus is entrusting Peter to care for his flock, Jesus' flock, his people, to give them the gospel, the good news, to give them spiritual nourishment. And the lambs are the little ones. Jesus addresses Peter to care for the littlest first, those that we sometimes think are least in the kingdom of God, the little children. Jesus makes them the first priority. The last feeding of the sheep is the entire flock. 
all people. And tending the sheep, that's poimeno, is shepherding. It's caring for them. It's leading them. It's ruling over them as a shepherd leads the sheep. Peter is being called to be their pastor, the under-shepherd of the great shepherd. That's how we know that Peter has been restored. With, of course, the final call by Jesus to follow him. Now, there's a few things I think we can take away from this for our own lives. A big one would be that Jesus addresses our wounds so that he can heal it completely. What wounds against Christ or others do you need addressing today? We're all Simons. We are all sinners with a sinful nature and a sinful past and a sinful present. What do you have in your life? Are you the Simon Peter who could do no wrong? Or at least you thought you could do no wrong. Would never deny Christ because of how strong you are, how strong your faith is, how, how easily you can overcome all sin and temptation. Are you trusting in yourself? Do you think that you are above everyone else? That if they all fall into sin and temptation, well, that you won't. Are you free from God's judgment because you are holy and righteous? He who exalts himself will be humbled or something like that, right? Maybe Jesus needs to set you, like Peter, on the right path by calling out your sin so that he can heal it. Even if you think God doesn't know your sin, he knows. Hear Peter's words. Lord, you know everything. You can't hide. You can't hide your sin from God. And these words aren't just for you, they're for me as well. God wants us to acknowledge our sin so that he can forgive it. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you are the Simon who denied Jesus and are in your sin, you're trapped. You've gone out and wept because you did the thing you said you wouldn't do. Now you're distanced, separated from the flock. Even though you may be present here, you really don't feel like you belong. You know that you are never too far gone. You do belong here. And you are never beyond Christ's healing touch. Your sin is not too great to be forgiven. That's why Jesus came. To die on the cross for you for your sins, for all of your sins. The ones that you know that you do. The ones that you try and hide. The ones that you even deny. And he rose from the dead to give you heaven. To give you eternal life. Not that you would suffer eternal punishment to hell for your sin, but that you would have everlasting life in him. He took your punishment so that you wouldn't be punished. He took your hell to give you heaven. And he has given us his word and his sacraments as his means of grace to give us forgiveness, life, and salvation by faith, all as a gift. Yes, we have a sinful future, but it's not as Simon 
It's as one redeemed by Christ. Because in baptism, we are given a new name, the name of Christ. We are no longer a sinner. We are a saint. We are clothed with Christ's righteousness, his perfection, and marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And through his word and his supper, his Holy Spirit, he reminds us of who we are and whose we are. The Peter that we heard from in our previous scripture readings, those two New Testament ones, that dearly loved child, that lamb that has been forgiven and restored, knowing that God has called each of us to come and follow him, yet knowing full well that in our following, we will stumble and fall. And in our repentance, he will restore us every single time. You are called to be here, maybe even to feed and tend to Christ's sheep. There is a place for all of you because Christ has called all of you to follow him and he will help you in your journey because Christ knows that your story is just like Peter's story, which is a story that's really all about him and his love and forgiveness because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It all begins and ends with Christ. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.